is putting these things on our land really the best thing to do? You know, have a think of where your food ends up. You know, you don't just load it on the truck and goes to the works. <laughs> it gets processed and it goes to a family. You know, there's there's a little kid there eating it. And yeah, what what are they eating? Can you honestly say that they're eating the best you've got? And that's that's something that really um, you know hits home for me because. We're feeding other people's kids, and I think we've got a responsibility to put some, um, you know, heart into it. Hello, and welcome along to the Quorum Sense podcast. I'm John O'Frew, and I'm excited to be here with you as we dive into exploring how New Zealand farmers are creating more resilient, regenerative, and enjoyable farming systems. this afternoon by Michael Riley. Thanks for having me on, Jono. I'd probably introduce myself as a farmer now with an um, uh, urban background. I'm from uh, Sydney, Australia, which is um, a bit unusual in New Zealand to be a farmer from Sydney, Australia. And um, But that's where I grew up, uh, spent my life, early life on the beaches, uh, northern beaches of Sydney, surfing and, and having fun. Yeah, was was sort of uh, into construction at an early age. Worked through that. Uh, got married early, um, having children, thinking about food that we're eating, and that's basically where we started. You know, we're we're sitting at home as you do. You watch a bit of uh, Foxtel over there, which is a bit of Sky. Turn the channel and um, Hugh Fernley wedding stall from River Cottage. You know, he's growing his own food. He's doing all this stuff. And I'm like hang on, we could do that in the backyard. You know, we could have some chickens. We can grow some veggies. That's basically how how we got to this point. Well, I think it's deeper than that, to be honest. Like we, Catherine, my wife, she comes from New Zealand. So we've, we'd been over here on holidays. Um, you know, like I always found that we'd always go on holidays to rural areas. We always wanted to escape the, the city and the busy life and <clears throat> that can even go back, you know, as a kid, going out with granddad to visit his mates on farms and, and family farms in Australia and just just deep memories that, you know, almost the dreams now that were they real or were they memories, you know, and, and just sort of a kid of going to these places and and just having a great time and being in nature. And So you were really attracted to that open sort of nature um, outdoors that there was when you got an opportunity to go on a holiday that's where you were hidden yeah or an opportunity to take a day off school <laughs> <laughs> a voluntary day off school just you know go wandering in the yes. sand dunes the lagoons the beaches the everything yeah and then what had you moved back to well for Catherine moved back but you moved to New Zealand well that was um you know, like we sat down and had this the exact conversation of like, hey, we're <laughs> why are we always we're always going out rural. You know, we're trying to find farm stays all the time on hol- and take holidays. And you know, we've got chickens and we've got veggie garden and we want to do more and we want pigs, but you can't have pigs in a in an urban. You know, our council wouldn't allow that. So it was the point of we need to find. Why, why, why go there for a holiday? We need to live like this, you know. So that and at was... that time, Michael, were you in <clears throat> suburbia? Like you were in the yeah. city? 
yeah so we had our we had our own place um we bought a house like our first house which was um which was my granddad's house that we we purchased off the family when he passed away and um that was just all the luck of we were about to buy an apartment so um <laughs> you know we really didn't want to do that and then our opportunity came and, and we got that house but we were right into um urban living catherine was a music teacher everything we did you know apart from our holidays and in, in the little veggie garden was very you know sub suburban life and then you thought okay we want to live like this what are the options and and tell us about that process so yeah so we looked um i mean we looked um you know australia sort of wide <laughs> um and prices being the way they were and and like i sort of grew up um dad lived um you know in a rural sort of area um when we were a bit older in our teenage years and i just didn't like it like it didn't just didn't have a feeling um and i suppose like if i bought a small place uh, in australia I, I felt like i was still holding on to those memories of a place that i didn't like you know so um we traveled to um new zealand on holiday <laughs> and just like I loved it. It's just, I was like, oh, no snakes, no spiders, no, you know, don't have to check your boots every time you put them on. And, you know, you can just chuck them on and go for a walk or no boots, go for a walk, you know. And it's a whole different, um, I mean, that alone is just changes the psychology of, of freedom in nature, I suppose. And you moved to New Zealand and is, what's going through your mind as you, you know, you've gone from construction to buying a, a property with some some land. What are the thoughts that go through your mind as you make that transition? Oh, it was huge, really, because um, we basically got there and we were comfortable enough with money that um, from the sale of our house that I was like, let's just see what happens. <laughs> I had no job lined up. I had no, I just thought I'll take a job in the local rural community and and see where that leads because i wanted a true feel of of what it's like to to live rurally so and how much land was on that initial purchase uh it was it was 11.7 hectares so nearly 30 acres so you were brand new to having land how did you go about learning the basics <laughs> And actually, that's um, an assumption. I, I, I assume yeah. that you didn't know much about agriculture. Like I'd been um, researching Joel Salatin, you know, and other farming, organic or regenerative. It wasn't really sort of defined back then, really. Basically online, you know, YouTube videos of people's little channels and, oh, this is how you raise a pig or this is how you... And then taking advice, you know, we'd you know, bought pigs off somebody, we'd take advice of how they did it. And we read some calves, some steer calves, and we took advice on how to do that. And we just sort of almost like an Australian magpie, you take bits and pieces and you make something out of it. So the key for us was a sort of a slow, a slow start. So that purchase was in 2011. And when the farm grew, that was 2016. 
Um, and that was that was good timing. You know, that was a good amount of learning time. So yeah, somewhere down the line, about I think it was about three months, I took a job at the Meatworks. Um, you know, we're in a position where we didn't really need the money, but I was like, I just want to be proactive and start somewhere. So, you know, I got that job and it was good. It was <laughs> like the, the amount of the amount of money you got for the for the work you had to do, I thought was great. And, you know, I was, I was thinking, I don't know what everyone complains about this. <laughs> like it, there's no pressure. There's no, you know, you're just standing in a line and you, I was doing that for about oh, nearly a year. And then um, dad called me and he was having um, some back spine problems and basically he had to go get surgery. I was the only one still at that point capable of running the business. So I went back, <clears throat> I went back for a year and flying in and out. Um, so doing the lifestyle block, um, developing that. And then, you know, which was good income going from Australia and then bringing that back. So that's how we sort of funded a lot of, you know, our start of the lifestyle block and, and the learning with animals. And about a year into that, I was, I got sick of the travel, <laughs> being away from the family and, and all that sort of stuff, and not really living that rural life. I was at home on one of my, um, you know, stints at home. I just thought, ah, oh, might try fencing because, you know, fencing, I've done a bit of around here and I seem to like it. It, it gels in with construction, you know, and, it, and it's like you build something and it, and it looks nice. And I was like, ah, oh, stuff it. I've seen an ad and I just rang up. Actually, it wasn't an ad. I just rang up a fencing contractor out of the out of the yellow pages back then when you used to open up the yellow or white pages or whatever it is. Opened that up, uh, rang him up, and he said, oh, come in for a trial tomorrow. He has a, uh, a funny version of that, which is, you know, he took this city boy and turned him into a <laughs> proper fencer because I came in, you know, I was wearing, like, board shorts and, you know, I wasn't your typical short short sort of guy yeah that the fencing was really really where I got an eye on I'm looking at landscape I'm looking at farmers I'm looking at what these farmers are doing during the day because on a fence line you see a lot of things you know because the farmer's coming and going do what he's doing but you're sort of in that same couple of k line for a few days or whatever and um and that's when I knew I was like Oh, they, you can take your kids out on the farm, you know, you, you know, you can't do that fencing, you can't do that scaffolding, you know, little kids, you know, and you can take them. And I was like, well, that's, you know, that's something I want to do. I want to have the kids and, and introduce them to, you know, to nature or work or whatever. And, you know, nothing worse than when I used to, especially in Australia, get up early in the morning and the kids just want to come with you and you can't take them. And, um, I was like, man, that's that seems like a really good, um, you know, uh, work-life balance, you know. So you did the fencing thing for a bit and started to immerse yourself in the, you know, I would say the dialogue, like which would be probably quite foreign for you, not just from the shift from Australia to New Zealand, but from, you know, urban life to rural life. Was Did you feel like you, you took a bit to understand the differences in language and just the that sort of general stuff that probably those of us that are in and have grown up in rural New Zealand just take for granted <laughs> yeah well I, I um the guy that I that I um 
worked for fencing. He's still a good mate and, and he, he was a neighbour of mine. Um, he spoke so fast, you had to pick up <laughs> what he was saying. Because <laughs> not only am I dealing with the accent change, you know, he's talking really fast and he's talking all this farm lingo, you know, because he, he, he was a farmer as well as a fencer. So I'm picking up on all the lingo and, and what's, what's happening because I'm interested, I think. I'm open-minded and I'm interested, I'm learning. So I'm fencing plus learning, you know, why are we fencing? You know, yeah. why, why are we running the fences like this and all that sort of thing? And that's, that's where, um, that's where um, you know, even now with fences, um, I find that it's not just about a good fence, it's about why it's there. And I think, you know, that's what makes a good fencer um, or farmer is putting the fence in the right place. That was really interesting because I was interested in that. We had our own steers and pigs and, you know, goats at some stage and milking cows. And <laughs> we did all the um, all the lifestyle things, but I, I never really liked the label lifestyle, <laughs> lifestyle farmer because I, I thought that, um, you know, it's almost derogatory in some some places. And then, um, you know, in, in other stances, it's it's lumping, and I don't like to lump, you know, everybody all together, you know, because everyone's got like we, us us as lifestyle farmers was a totally different, you know, to a to anybody else, and and just like farmers are totally different to anybody else. So yeah, that whole learning everything from scratch, you know. Um, but also, like I'd already been into farming so I sort of kept that pretty close to our chest because the um the neighboring farm to our livestock block was always sort of on and off for sale and I just thought man one day you know if I if I get the right opportunity I'm going to go for that place yeah and that was um <clears throat> so that timing was I rang I rang up the owner and said look I'm I'm interested in buying the the farm yeah it sort of just went on from there so yeah. what were the biggest concerns going into expanding the farm? Because you went from 11 hectares to how much was the farm after the next? Uh, so combined, it went up to 180 hectares, which doesn't sound huge, but it is, you know, <laughs> it, it was it was a lot. You know, if you're not, if you're not used to working on or, or you know, and, and I've never done, say at that point, I've never done any farm casual at all. I haven't worked in any yards. I haven't worked with any dogs. <laughs> you know, all I've done is move move some sheep and cattle around my little lifestyle block, you know. Yeah, it's huge. And just to be really clear for the listeners, whereabouts in Hawke's Bay did you end up settling? Uh, Central Hawke's Bay um, near Prongahau. You went from 11 hectares to 180 and you're thinking, right, this is serious now. Yeah. What next? Like, how long did it go from acquisition to functional? Oh, so yeah, that that was probably about a year in the making. So the whole we want to buy, you know, talking to rural lenders, getting that across the line, um, getting farm advisory, what stock are we going to run, how are we going to run it, all that sort of thing, getting all the numbers right, does it work as a business? Um, <laughs> And then sort of just getting ready to the day where the first truck arrives. So, and I'm talking 
buying a heading dog, learning how to use a whistle, a plastic whistle. I mean, all this is happening really quick. Talk us through what it was like, your first landing of stock on the farm. Was that the moment where it was like, <laughs> like when, at what point did you, did it hit you that you were now a farmer? Being a farmer and accepted into that farming community came as soon as I bought the, you know, two days after, <laughs> you know, you're, you're talking to farmers as a farmer. That was great because, because you know, I could, because I've always been the guy that I can walk up to anyone and ask a question and I don't feel like an idiot. I'm just looking for a, you know, what do you think? And, and I think, um, like, I've taken advice of a lot of people and asked people for advice. You know, I think that's probably rewarding for them that, that I've approached them. And I just loved it. I just loved all the conversations around ideas, what people were doing, how they did things. Yeah, I suppose I felt like that when I could, you know, sort of walk into the community and just talk farming with people. This must have been pretty surreal, right? Like, is this something you you sort of had aspired to be? All of a sudden, you're it. You're... Yeah, I'm talking like, um, you know, weight gains on lambs per day and, and you know, like just everything that goes with that. And, you know, you have to pick up on the lingo. You know, you gotta you got to learn how to talk to an accountant, a, a stock agent, you know, farm advisory, um, all the phone calls and continual, you know, um, FERT reps and, you know, all the, all the, all these people sort of, um, you know, wool reps, you know, trying to, um, not trying to get on, on your business, but, you know, all these people that all of a sudden become part of your life that weren't there before. And, and you don't get that in the construction business. It's more, you're approaching people, you know, for a service, really. You're learning how to do things at a basic level, the very foundational skill sets required. You were starting to master, but then there was this whole world of different techniques and styles. Was that difficult to navigate, Michael, as you as you started to get a feel for your own unique style and you've got yep. all this all these different conversations of tell us what was it like working out your own unique way of farming was it a work that took multiple seasons or was it something that you were I was pretty adamant that I wasn't a big sheep guy you know I'd <clears throat> I'd had cattle before and I had sheep before and I just loved cattle and um the plan was we had an advisor and and I thought you know hey well he worked up a plan with us which was all finishing cattle you know that was going to be the start of the farm but then as I started talking to people people are like well, you can't you can't finish cattle on that land you know that's sheep land that's um you know that's 2080 you know 20 percent cattle 80 percent sheep land I'm like oh you know I don't want to put our business at risk by by trying something that's not um not going to work you know this is my thinking at the time and um thinking about I'm like, well, you know, you get a gut feel of what you like and and what you don't like. And I and I liked cattle, but I thought I'm going to have to get a different, you know, a different advisor on. We're going to have to look at things, you know, like we're going to need sheep, and I need someone that's good at that. And <clears throat> so I'll sort of skip ahead. We ran our lamb finishing, buying lambs and finish them. Starting to realise that, you know, to finish a lamb, we we're spraying, which we'd already didn't like it's not something a path we wanted to go down but we're like as a business look we have to do this we have to spray 
You're going to have to put in new grass. You're going to have to put in a crop, followed by a new grass, and then a permanent grass, you know. And, and that's, that's what we're going to have to do to get to the end goal of, of where we want to be as a business and as a, as, um, you know, a farming family. And then um, I'm sort of skipping ahead here because what I realised, we didn't feel right about what we were doing because we were doing what everyone else told us to do. When you go against your gut feeling, that's never going to work out. And we were going against our gut. We didn't really want to do sheep. We didn't really want to spray, but we were doing everything and it was increasing. We were spraying out more, spraying more thistles. We were working out more ground, you know, we were putting on more fert than what we wanted to do. And everything that we'd been learning about previously, all those years from coming from Sydney to coming to the lifestyle block, developing was more along a regenerative route. And then thinking to get back to there, we had to go down the conventional route to get a sustainable business to get to there. But then just getting to that point, it's once you go against your gut, I don't think there's a good solution to that long-term. Yeah. So you did a, did a season or two sort of doing things that, for lack of a better term, conventional way, but it was going against your gut. At what point did you, you know, remedy that situation and start listening to your gut? And what, what did that look like as far as practices on the farm? Like we were buying organic, eating organic, um, sourcing organic food wherever we could, meat, vegetables. And then it was sort of like a conversation between me and Catherine, like we're not producing what we would eat. Yeah, yeah. most people don't think that that's, like how, how common is it that we have the farm out here and we have the house vegetables in here? You made that connection. It must have been confronting. Yeah, it was because we're you know we're we're talking all the time and we're like we've put insecticide on and me being a bit savvy and a bit wary of things you know I trialed I'll try I trialed insecticide. This is where the rep didn't know that I was doing this, but I only trialed it on certain paddocks, and I'll tell you what it made zero difference. You know, in in our supposed um, whatever bug was eating all our crops. You know, and and if anything, <laughs> the crops that we didn't spray were better. And what I've was got that like? Up. Like, did you feel like maybe it was just because you were a bit green in the area that maybe you thought it was just you, or like, did you think actually, hang on, there's something not right here, industry wide, or did you think it was isolated to you? Oh no, I I knew because because being in business before, you know, in the scaffold industry and and people supply you with a product that product better be bloody good <laughs> like we're paying for it it's got to work you know research is done it's it's engineered you know the steel's engineered whatever it is and it's certified i just had that gut feeling like when that rep's talking to me like does he even know what he's what he's selling me it just didn't carry the same integrity that that i dealt with in other business so that's coming back to more of the, the gut feeling, like your gut was saying to you, this is, I'm just being, what was the conversation What internally? What was yeah, it? it was like business-wise, my brain's telling me I better put this insecticide on all these new crops because if I lose production, you know, I'm going <laughs> to be in the shit. That was the fear. I'm going to lose production if I don't put this on. Yeah. And was that communicated or was that just something you assumed or was that actually communicated like you need to put this on or your crops are going to fail? That was communicated. You've got a serious problem and we're going to have to, you know, if you, if you, 
and and I was honest, like I was like, I don't really like using this stuff, you know. And I researched it online, you know, the products and that. I was like, but it was more an internal battle, um, business side saying you better put this on because you know it's a business. And then my gut feeling saying this is not right, you know, it just doesn't feel right. It's not what I want to do. It's not what you know. Long term effects on nature. We don't like. I don't know what that is. And that's um, when you made the decision to go ahead and just trial. Like, is that yeah. the sort of, was that the split between the left and right shoulder Michael conversation? Like, okay, we'll do, we'll do half and let's try half and see. Yeah. You know, and as a business man, I, I did the figures. I was like, look, if I take a 20% loss on this crop where I trial it and it, it say I trial it and it didn't work and, and we lost 20% of the crop, like that's not going to be a huge deal. Um, like that's something like I, I'll, I'm the sort of guy that will seem like I don't analyze things, but I'll be up at night writing it down, get the calculator out. Um, what's the risk? And, and that's what I did. But it's also a gut feeling like my gut feeling was saying, you know, this is bullshit. You know, also like the, the health of that of the crop where I didn't put it just outweighed. <laughs> and I was just like, this is the opposite of what I was supposed to get. And it was, it was applied by a contractor. It wasn't applied by me. So it was done. You know, all the rate, proper rates and that were done on yeah. the areas. Yeah, having the guts to not do what, you know, your reps or your advisory was, was saying, and, it, and that was hard. I can imagine being torn between, it's like being torn between head and heart in a way, isn't it? Like head saying, oh, I better do this. The heart saying, hang on a minute. I don't like this. Yeah. And you and you took action and, and I would say that was some sort of a win or success or did you feel a sense of like, I'm glad I did that? Oh, yeah. I was like, I was going to say, but I also felt remorse. I was like, geez, like, why I've put this, I've put this stuff on, I don't know what insects I've killed, um, you know, beneficial. And me and Catherine were having the conversation like, this is not right. This is not where we wanted, this is not what we wanted to do. You know, we care about the environment. You know, we care about the insects. We care about the people that we're feeding our lambs to, you know. And and that might be some random family in China sitting down to a meal of, of what they believe is grass-fed, um, you know, New Zealand lamb. Mm. And, and are we supplying them with, with the quality that we would eat, you know. And that's really um, confronting. So you'd almost say that was the spark, that moment. Definitely, yeah. And then what happened, Michael? Tell us. And, and I know you've got a you know growing family and all this you know plenty of stuff going on. Meanwhile, you're learning to farm and then farm in a way that you got you know is is content with what you're doing. What happened next? The next big thing is is financial. Well, for the first year of the farm, I was working still fencing, so I do I do um do fencing you know, half day or most a day or just work that around the farm. And about a year in, I got an opportunity to go work casual for a neighbour, which was great because it got me, you know, I got to use my dogs more and all that sort of thing. And then I was working for him in farming and I was doing everything that I was supposed to do business-wise by the advisory that I had. You know, we got to the end of the year, we did our accounts and, hey, we're $20,000 down. <laughs> and, and at this stage, the biggest problem is I was leaving too much, you know, with my farm advisor and accountant and I wasn't keeping track. And it's hard to in farming because everything's sort of a month or two months behind. 
but I wasn't quite keeping track of of what was happening. I've spent all this money on crops, sprays, fertilizer, you know, everything. And I said, um, hey, mate, we're, we're $20,000 down. What are we going to do about it? And he's a great guy. Like, I'm not going to. He, he taught me how to use the dogs. Like, he was really practical, a really good farmer. But his answer was, you're going to have to work off farm more. And I was so disappointed. I was like, it's got to be something. Um, and I couldn't, like, I couldn't physically work any more hours off farm and run that farm. Like, that was, in, that was just never going to happen. So not only did it fail, if you looked at things, it failed the gut test, you know, it failed the, the way we wanted to live and produce food and it failed financially. And, and I was like, well, that's it. <laughs> How many more signs do you need, Michael, you know, to, to, to wake up and, and go with your gut. So, and, and that, and that came a lot from Catherine, Catherine as well, because, you know, we, we knew we were doing the right thing by all the advisory. We had to go against our gut to do that. And if we're at the end of it, not to work out, well, that wasn't, it didn't sit right with us at all. So at this point, you're almost feeling like maybe you're on your own a bit. Then what? Like if the answer was from the first person you asked, do more work off farm, were you looking for more solutions? Did you think, were you resigned to it being that that's just the way it is? Or did, were you hungry for, you know, solutions? We got hungry. And um, it was a really good growing moment for us, you know, as a husband and wife and family. Because it was the first time that we sort of woke up and said, hey, this this is our farm. This is our responsibility. We're going to take the bulls by the horns. And and that guy rang up um, two nights later. He goes, oh, I've been really worried about you and thinking about what you're going to do. And he was real genuine, you know, because in his his model and his, um, he didn't have any solutions or his cap- capability at the time. And I said, I think I've got a solution. And he goes, oh, what's that? And I said, well, we're going to start doing our own thing. <laughs> that was hard because he was a really good, good person for me personally. He was good. You know, he almost became like a really close friend and I just had to break that relationship to, to move forward. Yeah, that was, that was really hard, not only that relationship, but also socially. So this was like a mentor sort of at this point, you're thinking I'm going to take responsibility and go and find my own answers. And so, I mean, liberating, I'm sure. <laughs> I bet you that was confronting. Like, it seems to be a theme. You've not chosen yeah. the, the comfortable road, Michael, and it's really inspiring. <laughs> You've said, no, I'm going to go and you know, do my own thing. Was that more internet learning? Is, is this really strange sort of timing? Like, so it sort of made that. It wasn't like I said, nah, that's it. Cut you off. He, he was still involved, but we were sort of just slowly moving out and doing our own ideas. And, you know, I knew all the lingo. I, you know, I knew, I knew how to fatten lambs by then. I knew, you know, how to farm. So I was pretty comfortable with, with the facts and figures. But just strange timing. So online again, Facebook, you know, <laughs> which we didn't, I think back then was, we didn't probably use it that much, but you sort of just, it was different, you know, you'd scroll down, you'd see more important things than now. And it was a day with John King, who I'd been following, because I'm already into that holistic management type stuff. And and it was a day with John King um, down at Ekaterhuna, which is about, um, probably about an hour 
oh, no, it's about a two-hour drive away. It's going to cost $200. And I was like, ah, oh, 200 bucks, you know. <laughs> Got to the day, I was like, I'm going to go to this, you know, because that's going to help us network with, you know, because back then there was no quorum sense. There was no networking of, um, not that I knew of anyway, um, online or Facebook or anything like that. So I was like, oh, and I nearly pulled out of the day. So the night before I was saying to Catherine, oh, I don't really, I could go, like, I don't want to go pay 200 bucks. So I could, I could go do that fence at home, you know, and, you know, I could get that fence done and, and that, that's saving me, you know, so much money. And why would I go all the way there, miss out on a day of work at home and pay 200 bucks, you know? And um, she said, you've got to do it. This is what you've wanted to do for years. You know, why are you trying to get out of it? <laughs> that made me think, I was like, why am I trying to get out of it? You know, I, I, it's like I wanted to go the next step, but I was also trying to hold myself back. But yeah, I went and it was great. You know, I sat next to Phyllis Titchen. Uh, you know, I met, a, met other people from the local area there. And I was like, what? There's there's other farmers in our area doing it. And, you know, <laughs> and yeah, just met a whole heap, whole heap of people there. And that's how all the networking started into the space driving home from that was it a different you know sense of belonging like you had found your people it was like i didn't know there was other weirdos out there you know <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and i was like well you know i can't believe it how many people were there and and just how similar you know everyone's farming everyone's trying to run a business you know but there was people there that that were doing amazing things already i'm like well, why haven't i heard of these people I didn't know about these people, you know, and they're not far away. Yeah, I suppose that sort of drives my passion now into farmer networking, really, because, you know, like it's been critical to us from that point on of going and then getting encouragement to keep going. Yeah, like it's not just learning about things to do differently or things to change or learning or increasing knowledge. There's this whole you know, what I'm hearing is, is you learned that you had things to contribute and you know, you'd gone beyond learning the, the ropes, going from the, the part-time farmer, lifestyle, or whatever you want to call it, hobby, and then you're farming and then you're farming on your own. And then now you've got things to share with other people. Did it take time to feel like you had not like to give yourself permission to share, like you had something to share? You know, did, was that something that took time or was that pretty quickly you just started to share what you were doing? I was quick to share, but I was very shy, very nervous. That was my personality in that time was I would share, but I wouldn't share, really share what was going on. I, I was great. I'd love to talk about, you know, what what they were growing to feed their lambs and all that sort of thing, but I, I wasn't really going that extra step of deeper sharing that sort of happened that didn't happen until after I met you so, so I was I was on the way to to sharing and opening up but not really truly opening up to potential but I mean you don't know that at the time you don't know what you don't know you know and, and I was still yes yeah, so I was still carrying a lot of um, fear and doubt I mean, I was copying it, you know, I was, I was getting comments from, from reps and neighbours and, you know, really felt like what I'm trying to do is not doable, 
when 95% of the people that you deal with are saying that, it's really hard, <laughs> it's really hard for the 5% to have the courage to, to keep going. I remember, uh, you know, us talking, yeah, just realising that, you know, the key to the real door was me taking res- full responsibility, dropping the past, taking full responsibility for the farm and life and how we're going to run that. And that doesn't, you can't blame a rep, you can't blame your accountant, you can't blame, you know, the banks, you know, you can't, it, it's up to you now. That really hit home, you know, that that sort of brought all the ducks in a row. I mean, if you had asked me at that time, um, you know, we go back, I'd be like, oh, not so much, but I, you know, I was a bit of a blamer, you know. Ah, oh, the bloody, oh, I got told to do this, told to do that. You know, and 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 now it's like, man, I I did all that. It was always up to me. And when you take responsibility for that, it's really empowering because it's like, man, I'm responsible for my own life. <laughs> what I think the real key on farm, what we were doing, and then I was sort of like in a cycle, and I wanted to break that cycle as soon as possible. So. Coming into the summer, we'd already put in our um, summer crops. You know, they were sprayed and they were direct drilled or cultivated in. I'd, so I had a little bit of time to plan for the for the autumn sowing. Oh, so any so from that day, first day at Ekaterina with John King, I met some local guys. One which is you know sort of become my one of my mentors. I wouldn't say mentor, but you know you take on what he what he says. He took me to a day and I seen, uh, so February, I'm standing in uh, Takapau, really dry sort of area. And I'm knee deep in, in red clover and, and, you know, a multi-species pasture. And I'm just like, I've just come half an hour from not far away. And we haven't, I haven't seen anything like this. And I know that area because I've been fencing in that area. It's, this is lamb finishing quality no irrigation, dry, we need to be doing this, you know. I'm thinking business side, I'm like, wow, you know, you know, I don't have to do another year of annual grasses, you know. I could put this stuff straight in the autumn. You know, I'm looking at the quality, I, I can finish lands off that. So you're thinking maybe I could not need annual crops? Is that where you, where you got to? Yeah, I looked at that. So February, in that land finishing, what we were doing at the time, that's the crunch time. That's when you needed your pasture, pasture and your kale, you know, to really be kicking in so you can put that weight on the lambs. And I'm looking at this pasture, I'm like, far out. Not only is this a perennial pasture, it's been in for a few years, you know, that hasn't been just done. I know from looking at it, I can finish lambs off it, even though that research or no one was finishing lambs on, on multi-species in that group or anyone I knew of at the time. You know, but they they were doing dairy cattle on it. So I just knew, like, that's what's going to get me out of this cycle. And and I looked at all the areas at home. I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this perennial stuff in, multi-species perennial, and that's it. I'm done. I'm done with that land. You know, like I, I'm not done with that land, but I'm done with that that cycle. And I mean, in that prac, you know, it takes one one bad year and you've lost all that ground. And it took a lot of risk out of the business. And would you say that it was more fun for you? Like, did you enjoy just having animals on pasture rather than having to worry about crops and sprays and 
Yeah, and and being the size that we were, we were all contracted out. Not only the cost, but also you know it was going against our gut and all that sort of thing. And I was really having fun with it. Like when I told my contractor, I said, "You got to drill that in." He's like, "What? Not spray it out?" I was like, "Yeah, just drill it in." He's like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, like the bags of mixed seeds. It's like, oh, all the small seeds are going to go to the, all the large seeds are going to drop out, and you know. <laughs> I'm like, don't worry, man, just put it in. And, you know, um, yeah, we'd come up with weeds. And so I just mowed, you know, to make him feel good, I mowed some and 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 we, we lightly tilled some of it. And probably something I did that I we dissed up some of the paddocks. Again, that fear of, of failing establishment and um, where we hadn't done full tillage and where we just lightly tilled, no difference on the surface. But as the next couple of years rolled on, I realized that area that we dissed is, is struggling compared to where we lightly tilled. So it was one, it was more longer term than than the um, insecticide spray. But yeah, man, it was a good, you know, I've got all the details and the photos and the experiments. I did. <laughs> but it was just great, you know, and I just loved finally stepping off that wheel of expenditure, really. You know, isn't that the definition of stupidity? I mean, at the time, we always felt like it was, it was the right thing to do or was good for the business to step back and look at things and think of things as 10 year, 20 year, 30 year. Is putting these things on our land really the best thing to do? You know, have a think of where your food ends up. You know, you don't just load it on the truck and goes to the works. <laughs> it gets processed and it goes to a family. You know, there's there's a little kid there eating it. And yeah, what what are they eating? Can you honestly say that they're eating the best you've got. And that's that's something that really, um, you know, hits home for me because we're feeding other people's kids and I think we've got a responsibility to put some, um, you know, heart into it, you know. That perspective is powerful. You know, would you feed your produce to your children? Yeah. And, and was there a time, Michael, I'm sort of going to push through the in, into an, another stage where you're at now, for the listeners on a, on a dairy farm, but we'll come back, we'll come into that shortly. But on, on the, on the home farm, on the, you know, the block um, that you started farming on, did you find you got that contentment? You know, let's put all of the head stuff aside. Was your heart content with what you were doing in the end on that farm? Yes, definitely. You know, if you could imagine you're um, trying to bring everything together, you're bringing your gut together, you're bringing your, you know, intent to feed good food, you know, you're bringing your family into it, your social, everything into it. We we got to the point where we felt like we achieved what we wanted to achieve in saying that, and then we sell the farm. Yeah. <laughs> yep, took that one off. Now what? Yeah, so that was really... Um, just finishing the holistic management course, but all, all being in holistic manager, management and looking at that longer term, like I've got a family and I've got a wife and I've got two, you know, teenage children at the time. And we were doing the farm. It wasn't everything that we wanted as a family though. So it, it's quite funny because we'd gone through the whole, this is what we do want to do. And then getting to a point, realizing that it didn't fit with the whole family. And I was getting all my needs met. Like I was really, you know, into it. But it gets to a point where it's like, 
if this isn't going to work for our family as a whole, then it doesn't work for me. Yeah, this is great for me, but, you know, is it great for my whole family? Have I even asked them lately? How do they, you know, how, do, how they think things are going? And, and also, like, we went through, so we went through two dry years and we went through, you know, the biggest drought in 80 years. You know, they got these real scary sort of <laughs> things they put on it, but it was dry. It was really dry. And we're pulling out um, a critical moment. We're pulling out, we, had the, we bought this one mob of lambs and we'd mixed them up with some other lambs and they just kept jumping in the dams. <laughs> From a certain farm, a certain earmark, a certain farm, for some reason kept jumping in the dams. And I made up this long plank because going into a dam, you know, when it's quicksand, basically, is pretty dangerous. So I made up this long plank and me and Catherine used to go out together. We didn't really want one person there at a time pulling out these lambs. And um, being the country it was, I mean, dams are pretty, pretty common. And I mean, the fence off your dam is going to take a long <laughs> couple of years. Um, and we didn't think it was going to get that dry. You know, I don't think anybody did. So we're pulling, we finished pulling the lambs out of the dam and we're both, you know, covered in mud and exhausted. She goes, I don't really think this is what we want to do. <laughs> At that stage, we we're transitioning the cattle, but we just couldn't quite get there yet. So we're still still had lambs on. And it wasn't just that, it was realising, you know, do we really want to go through another dry year with sheep? We knew we probably need to do that for another year or two. Just having that conversation, and, uh, and I said to Catherine, I said, look, if we get a good spring, let's sell and let's do something else, you know. I can say now I was, I was addicted to that farm. That started consuming, you know, my 24 hours a day. Um, and, it, and it always had, like, I've always been considered a workaholic. So whatever work I do, that's what's going to happen. So we're like, geez, we started getting a good spring. Everything was going right. And, and we thought about selling the lifestyle block and building a new house on the farm because I was not going to leave that farm. I know I'd said it, but I, I was thinking of all, every other option to stay on that farm. And yeah, fair enough, the homestead was old and we could sell that and get good money. And then, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, I committed to Catherine that I would sell this farm if we had a good spring you know i had to honor that and i said um i said look hun hey i'm i'm a, i want to sell the farm and she goes really i was like yeah <laughs> let's do it you know um and that was me confronting my myself you know just getting so hooked on that farm and realizing <laughs> this guy hang on this is this has almost become an obsession like a <laughs> over the top like as as an individual and you're starting to think now about the the whole family and what does it look like yeah. to think from the perspective of you as the family yeah you know i had this whole vision that would be there forever the freedom that comes with with realizing that you don't have to be tied to that farm <laughs> or any farm that was really liberating like i did the work and i wanted to prove things and i sort of did what i i needed to do and I had a lot of ego, you know, like ego, like I really want to do that. I want to make this a, a really good farm. And, and I put a lot of, you know, fencing and water, blood, sweat and tears. And I was like, I don't really want to give it up. <laughs> and then just, just letting it go and how one night, you know, making these decisions, thinking, hey, it's actually not, it's actually going to be great. <laughs> then not knowing what you're going to do after that. I mean, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> was it cool even at the time like oh i just 
I'm going to sell my farm now. Well, the first thing I thought is I haven't taken a holiday in five, six years. <laughs> I think it was, I think it was six or seven years. We had never had a family week away. I mean, that was part of it. I was like, geez, what? that's not the way to live. It wasn't the family. It wasn't the finances. It was me, you know, <laughs> it's my addiction to that and, and not being able to see that I was overcommitting to that. And I don't know if I can hear addiction. Maybe it's one word, but probably more just a, there was an attachment there, wasn't there? An attachment like as part of your, like it was personal, yeah. your identity, yeah. I think because I grew up so much with the purchase from the from the purchase of the farm all the way through that it became like a, a best friend. Were you proud of it, Michael, of your time on the farm? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how I did it. <laughs> I, can definitely, I can definitely see how that would have you be like, you know, I don't want to let it go. I mean, it's it's a bit like um, I'll, I'll think of you know, days gone by as a as a young bogan. You know, you buy an old car, you get it running, and you you know you learn how to fix certain things, and yeah, and then, and then someone comes and offers you some money for it, and it's like, oh, I don't want, don't know if I want to. And then yeah. you, you know, meanwhile, you've got a family that is out growing the car, and it makes total sense to sell it, but there's still this resistance, you know. I'd say it's definitely like that. It's an attachment to items, you know, it's an attachment to... Well, what about like an image of success, like I've made it? And I've created this whole personality. It belongs to the farm, you know, that how can I take my personality with no farm? I'm a farmer now, you know, how do, how do I be a farmer without a farm? So what did you do? You went on holiday and then... So we decided to sell, we got an offer, we sold it. That was the whole farm, homestead, everything. Everything, yeah, yeah. No idea where we're going to go, what we're going to do. Uh, so in in those years, like obviously the you know regenerative circle had grown quite a lot. Quorum Sense app came in early on. I started networking with people. You know all that sort of stuff was building in there. And you you know farmers, you know that are trying things or they're in that space. <clears throat> and I just seen a. Um, and farmers knew you. Yeah, more than what I thought. <laughs> more people than what I thought. And and that came from sharing, openness to share, um, which I've got to credit to you again. Something, you know, something that you, I was very, uh, you know, withheld, didn't want to share. Um, but I found like in sharing, like openly, prop, properly sharing results and what you were doing and what you were trialing. I, all my current success has come from that. Yeah, it's really almost the opposite of my mentality years before that. It's like, man, I've got to keep this information to myself because that gives me the, the upper hand. Yeah, well, it, 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 it takes away the vulnerability, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, and then you know, when you share, you, you, you get people that will call you out on stuff and you've got to be ready for it. Well, maybe they're right. Or at least valid. Yeah. Or 100% valid. 100% whatever they said is valid. Whether it's right yeah. or not, is up to you at the end of the day, especially when it's about your farm or something you've said. No one yeah. else, yeah, no one else can tell you whether it's right or not. Yeah, being open to whether it's criticism, whether it's, you know, applause. And I guarantee you there'll be people listening to this podcast, Michael, that you have inspired directly. So, you know, I'm I'm really glad that you did deal with whatever you had to deal with to, you know, allow yourself to share. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you're now 
developing a real community around you. You know, you've been sharing actively in the forum since WhatsApp and on the and on the Facebook. I remember you sharing some things and um, well, lots of things. It was really, really powerful stuff you were sharing. And you're always answering questions as well. Like I, I really enjoyed whenever I saw your name come up. It was like, cool, this is worth watching or, or listening to. Then the, how did that support you to get to where you are now? And, and where are you now? Oh, okay. So, so I've, I've landed, like, don't know how. <laughs> but on a, you know, a regenerative farm, a regenerative transitioning organic farm. Um, Farming what? And not far away from where I was, half an hour away, uh, a dairy farm. A dairy farm. Yeah, yeah. So was that another new? Had you been on dairy farms before? I'd seen one shed before I came to this place. (laughs) (laughs) Wow! (laughs) And that was with the school trip. You know, just went in as a as a parent helping out for the day. Went around with the kids. You know. And if you enjoyed it, like, so you're in, you're in your, have you, have you done a whole season? Yep. So we're in the second season. Yeah. What, what's that been like for you? So you're not, so you've been from owning this farm, being more or less on your own. You would say, you know, that as far as um, responsibility, right up there, of course. Yeah. And then, and then to a new farm that you are working on as an employee, what's it been like for you? the learning and the change in structure it's been great it, it was really um so like i knew the owner i well, i didn't know him i knew of him because I've, I've been pretty good in sharing and <laughs> reading everyone's information and i knew um people in conventional circles that that knew the owner and you know the, you know you hear him passing oh he's a good guy you know and um this is crazy because i've seen this job a bit of a laugh and I said to the missus, oh, I'll just apply for it, you know, herd manager on a dairy farm. And I and I was like, you know, I want to be all cattle. You know, that's what we decided. Um, you know, obviously regenerative organic. Let's just, <laughs> let's just um, I haven't done a resume for I don't know how many years. I'll just chuck something in, write an email next morning, you know, exclamation point. Oh, this is cool. <laughs> Thanks for applying, you know. And, um, you know, found out. Um, the owner's brother was was on the Quarren Sense group for for a while, and um, they pretty much knew who I was before I knew who they were. So from your sharing on the Quorum Sense group, yeah, so he he already knew who you were and was excited to see that you had emailed him. Yeah, and that's probably the first you know the first real time I was like I've probably you know reached more people than what I think um, in some way or little way or and, and I mean I've shared some it hasn't all been good stuff you know i've shared the, the ins and outs and the good and the bad and the, the downtimes and the and you know just the struggles of of farming yeah and what's the learning been like man like you know different styles obviously a whole different routine you've been learning a lot i've learned heaps learned heap like i <laughs> it's been a big you know year and a bit it, it's the same as so i was sheep and beef farming and, and I used to graze dairy cows in the winter. That's about all I had to do with dairy. I knew this is going to be huge. Like, I'm going to have to learn everything. I'm going to have to learn how to milk a cow, treat a cow, you know, look. <laughs> you know, like, because as a sheep and beef farmer, I was like, oh, it's a problem. I'll ring the vet. You know, from that to actually 
looking at the cow properly yourself carving cows dealing with calves yeah it was it was massive and not only that working in a team where i wasn't the boss and i wasn't the and and with that came the benefits i was like this is great you know like <laughs> i can take i can take days off rostered days off and i don't have to worry about anything and for the family, I bet you that was pretty foreign, right? Pretty new. Well, it's the first time they've seen dad not get up and have to run the dogs and think about everything. I'd, I've got videos of, you know, I take videos of the kids. I'd take them out. And I've got one where we're just playing with a with a water pipe and I was spraying it over them. And then in the video, at the end of the video, I go, come on, we've got to go move those lambs. Yeah. So I was never really just there for them. I was bringing them to work and I wasn't, 100% committing my time to them it was always just a side you know we're still working guys you know mm. looking back on those videos and and seeing their faces like oh like almost like a disappointment but I didn't know that at the time I thought I was doing great yeah <laughs> my kids on the farm this is awesome but never realizing that I'm looking at them thinking we've got to go now I've only got 20 more minutes or they just want dad without him standing there looking like he's thinking of something else yeah blank distant yeah. away with it yeah yeah and kids know when you're half concentrating when you're half even when you don't it's so ready and waiting that default just thinking next thing next thing next thing next thing on the farm and i don't yeah. imagine that's going away anytime soon and there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> it's important you know when you're in management yeah. and you're thinking about you know especially other team members for instance but how cool is that getting those rostered days off that just must be incredible for you yeah i was like what the hell are we going to do on the rostered days off <laughs> <laughs> like this is weird we've never done this before it actually took like i would be thinking of the farm and i still do to be honest but i'm really good at shutting certain apps down or you know shutting the farm off knowing that i'm working with people that are good hands that I can mm. walk away, you know, and, and have that time. And just knowing like, if there's a breakout, I'm not the one that has to, you know, there's rostered people on that will take care of that. Like a big trust thing, isn't it? You, there's lots of trust there. You know, coming into a team of people where I'm learning and then getting to uh, a point where, you know, they're asking me questions, you know, we, you know, the owner, he's going down the regenerative route. It's also transitioning to organic. You know, there's a lot of what you could think of restrictions or you could think of as opportunities, you know, for them developing as people. And then and then when people come to me and ask me for, you know, when they come to me, because I'm the learner here, you know, learning dairy. And it didn't take long. I mean, three, four months. And they're asking me for advice. What should we do? Or I was like, cool, you know, like I'm in the team. Not only in my team, like they're respecting me and my opinions. and and um, it wasn't easy, you know, because people um, are set in a system that they were trained in. Um, but for them to open up and to ask questions, that's that's like me sharing or getting private messages all the time of mm. of people that are seeing comments that I've written on on Quorum Sense on Facebook, and I'm like, wow, like people actually are responding to ideas. Well, I would say with real confidence here, Michael, that you actually created the conditions for that. Like you created the conditions for people to be coming to you and asking questions because they've seen you do the same thing. Oh, that's without, a good point. You know, without the significance, without the, you know, 
like you you said earlier in the podcast you're not scared of asking questions and so in doing that you've created the conditions where others around you can now share that value of it's completely okay to ask questions and show some vulnerability and show some uncertainty like maybe i don't know everything there is to know and maybe there's power in that oh that's huge isn't it and um yeah like i I'd say I'd always been like that. Oh, now I'm fully open. You know, <laughs> I've always been like just open a little bit, you know. But now I'm fully open, and and I can go up to someone, ask the most stupidest question in the shed. But now I laugh at. Yeah, and I bet you wouldn't have changed it for anything. I bet you would have still out. You at the time that question was right. And you know, going up to people and knowing that it could be the most stupidest question they've ever heard, stupidest question, and then just having the guts to say it. Like I guarantee yeah. you've had someone come to you or something that you thought that took courage to ask. For you, there was no thing like about wanting to laugh or ridicule or any, I guarantee you that was not there at all. Nah, that's right. And and like, I mean, we all laugh and we all, you know, poke fun and, and, and that's part of being human. But when someone comes to you vulnerable and looking for advice or guidance or, I mean, I take that as, as if it was my own. You know, they they're coming to you. Just them asking a question should be should be good enough for you to say, "Hey, I'm going to respect what these people are saying." Yeah, because you know what it takes. You know the courage it takes. I think it's a great time now to go into our final question. If you could speak to someone who's right at the start of their journey, piquing their curiosity about, you know, whatever you want to call it, regenerative agriculture, biological, what would you say to that person? I would say be brave, have courage, follow your gut. Your gut's led you to this place where you're like, I want to change or we want to change or the business wants to change or the family wants to change. Yeah, don't stop where you are. You're going to come across um, challenges or holes in information. You're going to get some parts of the information you needed. You know, what we talked about before about responsibility is take responsibility and, and you create your own regenerative pathway. I know some people have world goals where they want to do good for the planet. They want to do good for the environment, but every little person doing their thing and following that gut feel that's led you to the, to the regenerative pathway and carrying on with that and getting the support around you to continue. That's where we're going to see the difference in the world. People creating their own paths. What would that look like? Bloody amazing. Michael Riley, thank you so much for your time today, for your generous sharing, your amazing story, just so inspiring. Thank you so much. No worries. This podcast was supported by MPI's Productive and Sustainable Land Use Extension Services Fund. The information, opinions and ideas presented in this podcast are for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. Any reliance on the content provided is done at your own risk. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Quorum Sense podcast. Subscribe, share, and if you have any comments, questions, or topics you'd like us to cover, please email us at podcast at quorumsense.org.nz or visit the quorumsense.org.nz website where you can also access past episodes. We hope you have an enjoyable week and that you've got something of real value from this podcast. Be sure to join us for the next exciting episode. We'll see you then.